Hello and welcome to The Grey Witch. My name is Alana Grey Tiger and thanks so much for deciding to listen today. Today I wanted to talk about Roe versus Wade and I'm going to be honest, I'm having a difficult time even beginning this episode because I have a lot of really important points and I just want to make sure that I communicate everything the best of my ability. So I'm trying to center myself and get ready for this. I know that there's a lot of emotion around this for good reason and I want to be sure that I have had a more clear understanding from my own perspective so that I can share my story as a human with a uterus and as a human that's also been in the position to consider an abortion, what I think about this and also what I think that people need to hear about this from that perspective. When I first was hearing about this, I was very angry and I was also very confused. I'm not someone that follows politics that well. I would say that I identify as a libertarian because I just have this belief that I don't think the government should really be involved in much of our personal lives at all, Um, but that's just my personal opinion. So I do like to try to take a look at both sides of things. Like I said in my first episode, I like to look at the gray side of things. I want to see both sides and understand where each is coming from. Since I don't really follow politics that well, I was a little bit confused on what was going on, so I wanted to do some research because I was angry, but I also was understanding why the federal government would want to not have a stance in saying anything over our health rights. But I also see how in that way, now they are affecting a very large percentage of Americans. It's said that this ban affects 135 million people. This is people where now abortion is severely restricted or banned in their states. From my own personal research, what I'm understanding why Roe versus Wade even came up once again is because Trump appointed pro-life judges because he was pro-life. There's a statement of him saying this. And then recently this came up in the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court agreed to hear a challenge about a Mississippi ban on abortion that um a in 2018 a the last abortion clinic in mississippi decided to sue the state over the law of abortions being after fixed 15 weeks of pregnancy and the supreme court ruled then that the issue of abortion should be on the state representatives it it's on the people's decision in that state to decide for this and that was all still really confusing to me so to go to the definition of what the federal government deals with and what the state governments deal with the federal governments like what they do is they make money they declare war they manage foreign relations and they oversee trade between the states and other countries the state government's jobs are to rectify amendments, manage public health and safety, and oversee trade in the state. The state's job is to manage public health and safety. Now, if, it, if that's the job of the states, then these states need to, you know, look at who they're actually helping in this way because they're not managing the public health or safety of anyone in these states that are affected by these bans. So who is really affected by this? Who this is going to affect the most is low-income people 
people that don't have access to the best health care. And from what I'm understanding and researching is this is going to mostly be affecting people of color. A lot of these states that are putting in extremely strict bans on abortion are southern states and plain states. Half of our nation's black population lives in these southern states. And also a large portion of Hispanic and indigenous live in the south and the plain states. These women now will have an extremely difficult time having access to safe abortions. Regardless of your stance on abortion, about 20 to 25% of women have had an abortion in their life. And now these women are going to be affected and not be able to have access to that. And I just wonder how that's going to affect the societies after them, especially because a lot of these women are also low-income women. And as a single mother, as a low-income woman, I understand how really difficult it is to be able to live with a child when you're low-income and you have no help. Alabama is one of the states that has enforced a total abortion ban, and the minimum wage in Alabama is $7.25. The average babysitter cost in Alabama is $13.95. It's not reasonable for a single woman raising a child, and let's say that this child was an unwanted pregnancy, and now this woman has no way to work. Like, this is a problem, and we have a really very large homeless population already. We have a homelessness problem in America, and now we're just going to be escalating. I've been following this map on reproductiverights.org. It's the Center for Reproductive Rights, and it looks like five states have already made it completely illegal to have an abortion. 21 states making it very difficult in enforcing bans after six weeks. And five states are, only five states are allowing access to non-state residents. And these states are the furthest corners of the map. These are states like New York, Oregon, Washington, These are states that are extremely difficult to access, especially for people that are low income. And what I see happening a lot with this is women being forced to carry out an unwanted pregnancy and lower income women giving birth without having adequate health care or going through an entire pregnancy without health care. And what I see that happening generationally is a lot of mental illness. You know, if, if you've been someone that was raised by a single mother you see how that affects you if you were raised in a low-income household regardless if you had both your parents you see how that affects you if you were raised in an abusive household where your parents had you unwanted you know oh you were an accident and then your parents fight all the time like you understand how difficult this is and this is traumas that you have to deal with and then you have to try to make sure that you don't pass them on general generationally Onto your own children if you decide to have children. I see in my own family history generationally on my maternal side, my maternal side has a lot of trauma around it and my grandmother's mother, so my great-grandmother, actually had a bunch of children but she sold them all in bars in Las Vegas because she was addicted to gambling and drugs and alcohol. And that generationally I see how has it affected the connection between the mothers on our side. I have a very close relationship with my grandmother, but I don't have a very close relationship with my mother. And 
I feel physically this maternal pain on the left side, feminine side of my body from it. And it's something that I'm beginning to continue to heal. These are these subtle body traumas that we deal with that come from these experiences that we don't like these worldly experiences like a woman being forced to carry out unwanted pregnancy i know that i was definitely an accident and you know my mom decided to give birth to me i know my dad wanted an abortion i understand that they were not in a healthy relationship they did end up getting married after they had me then very soon a few years later got divorced and that how that has affected me um you know if you've lived in a divorce household you understand uh, the dynamic is weird, especially if it's a hostile divorce and a hostile relationship between both the parents constantly fighting your entire childhood. Then you're not seeing any like no one's caring about you as the child. Everyone's just caring about, oh, well, you know, your father did blah, blah, blah. And your mother did all this and they're just horrible and like you're just almost tugged between these two people and those are these are just a few examples of experiences that people have when they're born unwanted not saying that i'm not like why would you put me in this situation like i think to some extent i don't want to get too deep but i think to some extent that people do get to choose in a way what happens to them maybe before they're born or maybe it is a karmic experience that we have or um, I think also it could be, you know, I don't think that everything happens for a reason. I don't. Um, because even with this example of abortion, I understand that a lot of women are going to be um, forced to have a pregnancy that they don't want. And that is not their decision at all because they're not able to have access to health care in order to get a safe abortion. So what I was trying to really get to was sometimes I think that we experience experiences and then we get to decide and make a decision on what we want to do with our life. And we're dealt with difficult things because we can use these difficult things in a way to benefit other people around us. You know, like this is what I try to do with this podcast. I've lived a really dramatic life and now I want to be able to utilize that um, to help other women and to help other people, you know, who might be, have dealt with similar things or are just interested in trauma healing. I did want to share my story because I feel as if I would be a woman that, well, I am a woman that is affected by this, but I also am a woman who has been in the position to consider abortion. Um, so let me tell you my story. When I was in high school, I was living with my grandmother. She was living um, off her social security. We were living in low-income housing together. Before we moved into this low-income housing, I was living on her couch, and she was living in a like a 55 and older like apartment complex where like kids are not allowed. So I was kind of just like hiding and living out of a suitcase um, because I was homeless um, before this, and I. Um, was we were living in this housing and I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues. I was drinking occasionally and like I've said previously in other episodes, I was using um, LSD and marijuana to escape reality. Um, just a lot of things going on. I was sort of going through a spiritual awakening in a sense where I had decided to stop drinking alcohol. Um, this was about 
2014. Um, I would say the winter, like that, that winter into spring of 2014, I decided to stop drinking and I was using LSD and I was like, birth control is harmful for my body. So I was doing a lot of research on how to like check your basal temperature and track your period. And I was doing those things, um, for about two months, but I did get pregnant and I could be judged for this, but I was trying to do what I thought was right for my body by not putting birth control into it and then trying to track, you know, at the same time, I'm 17 years old. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I didn't want to have a child. I didn't think I ever even wanted children at all. Um, I had a whole different trajectory for my life. Um, but I named my daughter Nala because I said she's a gift from the universe, which she totally is. But back to it. 17, I was dating a guy that's 21. We had been dating sort of. Um, it was like strange relationship but we ended up sleeping together a a handful of times not really many at all and there was never anything that I thought would you know they say like oh you can get pregnant on pre-cum and like you can because that's how that happened and um I was 17 I was a senior in high school so I got pregnant in February of 2014 and I didn't find out I was pregnant until April of 2014. In March of 2014, I turned 18. So I was pregnant at 18 as a senior in high school. I graduated in June of 2014. So when I graduated high school, I was about five months pregnant. And I do want to do an episode about being pregnant in high school um, separate than this one, just to explain that sort of experience, because it's not really an experience that most girls have. How I found out I was pregnant, I just started feeling weird. I was still getting my period and um, I guess like, you know, I felt my boobs were kind of tender and I kind of felt like, you know, a little bit of strange cramping going on and I was attributing it to it me being off birth control. I was like, maybe my hormones and everything is just adjusting differently because it wasn't like I was just sleeping with this guy I was with all the time and just like, like trying every way to get pregnant. Like I was still trying to be safe, what I thought, but the universe had other plans. I remember after school one day, I just was like, I think I'm going to walk to the dollar store and pick up a birth, I mean, a pregnancy test and see what's going on just in case and I had my boyfriend over at the time and I did not expect it to go pregnant you know on the pregnancy test and it did immediately so I was in extreme shock because it's like not you know that's a completely unwanted not expected type of pregnancy Um, and I showed him and he was freaking out. We were both just kind of freaking out because we didn't know what to do. Um, and so what we ended up doing that night actually was like Googled abortion clinics. And um, we were looking at the prices and we looked at some places. And I think it was so overwhelming for me. I just didn't know how to feel. I remember I went and I just took a bath and I just laid in the bathtub. I have an extremely strong connection to water 
and I feel like water helps center me and calm me. I learned this actually when I was in a psych ward and I was having a panic attack and this nurse grabbed me and she shoved my hands under a cold faucet and, and I was like, oh wow, I feel like really good, <laughs> like way better. And I really like that she did that. First of all, I'm just gonna say because I just feel like, oh, you know, they were also getting drugs ready to just basically um, pass me out. So I'll just chill out. And like, that's not cool. We, if we can find other ways to like center ourselves in a healthy manner, I feel like that's totally better. But anyway, back to the story. I took a bath. I actually listened to this um, song and it's a really great song that you should totally listen to. Watch the video on it's called My Story by Jean Grey. I will warn you, the video is very graphic, but it explains the story of a low-income black woman getting pregnant, unwanted, and dealing with the decision to go through with getting an abortion. And I really love that about black music. I've learned a lot about the black community through their music. And I really appreciate that because as a white woman who, like, I was raised in, like, a pretty not like a super well my mother's side of the family extremely racist and my father's side is like subtly racist but definitely still racist and i've always wanted to make sure to not be that way and learn how as a white woman i can be more um inclusive of people of color so back to my story dream jean gray my story amazing song um and I still was thinking about it. I think I thought about it for a few days, and then I decided to go to a Planned Parenthood. Um, the closest one to me wasn't too far, about 30 minutes. And I, I, mean, I lived in New York also. So New York is a very, it's a very open state about abortion. They're actually one of the states now that has allowed access to outside residents to be able to come in and get an abortion. So cool for that. I live in New York now, and I'm very happy about that. When I went into the Planned Parenthood, it's not like you think you just go in there and they're just like, oh, you want to get an abortion? Like, let's just force an abortion on you. Like, they were actually extremely helpful for me. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I was like, I might get an abortion today. I might. I, I just had no idea. I was so confused. I hadn't even told anyone yet. Like, I didn't tell my dad when it happened. I didn't tell my mom. I actually wasn't communicating with them because I was living with my grandmother because I was homeless because my mother and my father both kicked me out of their households. So, like, literally no one knew other than um, the guy I was dating at the time. So when I went in, you know, they just signed me up. I went into a room, and they were talking to me. They asked if I knew how much, you know, how pregnant along I was. I was like, I have no idea. Like, I literally just found out yesterday that I was pregnant. So um, they had me do a pee test, and they said, you're about eight weeks and five days pregnant. Um, I don't know how they do this. I don't know the science of how you can pee on something and it tells you this, but that's what I did. And the crazy part about this is I didn't even know I was pregnant until eight weeks which means a lot of these states like Alabama, um, Mississippi, Texas, like they're, they're doing a six week ban on abortion. So as a 17 year old, or it was 18 now, as an 18 year old in high school, 
I found out I was pregnant at eight weeks, which means I would have had, there wouldn't have been a possibility for me to get an abortion anymore. I just, it would have been like, you're going to have that child. That's it. That's your life. I wouldn't have been able to make a decision. In New York, I would have been able to, but I'm saying in these states that now the bans are restricted down to just six weeks. So what they ended up doing at Planned Parenthood was they signed me up for something called presumptive Medicaid. So actually, I think earlier I stated I had medical insurance. I actually didn't have medical insurance yet. I don't know if I said that, but I didn't. I got medical insurance because I went to Planned Parenthood. They had me fill something out um, about my income and blah, blah, blah. And then they got me signed up with presumptive Medicaid, which means I could immediately go to a... um, a clinician that allows presumptive Medicaid, like that takes that. And I had one like right in my town that I lived in. So I went there and I think I was just thinking about it still of what to do. And then I think within a few days I had decided that I didn't want to get an abortion. Um, It was just something that I thought I, I personally felt like I couldn't do it. Um, And maybe it was because I, the time I was going through a spiritual awakening and like I was stating earlier I feel like sometimes experiences happen in order for us to share a story so that's why I think it's so important right now for me to use my voice and share my story because this is what I think that this is extremely useful for so I did decide to keep the pregnancy and now I have a seven-year-old who I absolutely adore you know she's the best thing that's ever happened to like anyone in our lives um we all feel that way and um she's so cool (laughs) like I'm extremely happy with this decision that I made but that doesn't mean throughout my life I've thought about it because um you know and I'm not saying this in any way against my daughter because like I said I just don't want it to come across that way at all but like because of the struggle of raising a daughter as a single mother, low income, that has made me question that decision a lot. And this is why it's such a heavy decision. And it's not for the government to be deciding for any woman, anyone with a uterus. Because I got pregnant so young and I was trying to manage this unstable relationship with this guy who is also very young, um, like we ended up getting an apartment together and like we were both working two jobs I was like working three jobs I think at one point or he he was I think working three jobs like we were working every single day just to afford a one-bedroom apartment um and then to try to afford to buy a vehicle because we didn't even have a vehicle I was walking to work pregnant <laughs> like really crazy this is like what the experience of being low income is it wasn't like I was just walking like oh down the block like I was walking miles a day which was probably good for me as a pregnant woman but like the I just didn't even have access to this and to afford um the things that we wanted it was like a lot of budgeting like a lot of budgeting to afford to get clothes for our baby and luckily we got a lot of family that paid for a lot of our things and donated a lot of things and without that I wouldn't I don't know how like I would have gone by I think I would have found a way but um even though I had a lot of people who helped in the way beginning after that a lot of people you'll notice once you become a mother that they fade out of your life it's it becomes a really lonely life but it's like because if you're a good mother 
you're very much focused on being a mother and it just occupies every day of, of your life. So that's just how it goes. And so because we were so young, unstable, you know, he came from a very traumatic household of a, actually a poor single mother. And um, we just were not able to maintain a healthy relationship together in, in where we were living. So that ended up with us, you know, one of us moving out, the other one moving out. Like, it was a lot of just moving around. I moved within the past seven years. I've moved probably over ten times. And this was to multiple different states as well. And a lot of this jumping around was because of being able to afford to live. I couldn't afford housing. So anywhere I could go that I could maybe get a little bit cheaper housing, like, I was on it. I was trying to figure out where to be and, like, at the same time having the stress of, like, I don't want to raise my daughter in this environment, but, like, not knowing how to not, how to get out of that environment when you're low income like that. I'm getting very emotional because this is a very emotional topic. Like, this is a very heavy topic. And from what the the pain that I've experienced from this and the hardship that I've experienced from this, I wouldn't want any woman to be forced into living this sort of experience. For me, I understand that I made this this decision and I realize why I made the decision that I do and I stand strong in my decisions. Um, And I'm just glad now that I can not be struggling in the way that I was and be able to hopefully be a voice for women that don't have a voice. So with being low income and raising this daughter essentially on my own, because I didn't really have any family help, um, I mostly just had the help of my grandmother occasionally, but there was a lot of situations where it's like, I don't have the ability to have someone watching my daughter while I work 40 hours a week. Um, So that led me to try to find ways to work from home which I tried, I did find some ways to make money from home, but it wasn't enough income to live, to really be able to afford to live still. Um, What I first was doing was making jewelry and I was selling it on Etsy. And luckily by, you know, I would say the universe's blessing to me, I was making money from that. And I was able to provide enough to be able to continue to get by and like afford food And luckily, I was able to get state food stamps for having a child. I breastfed Nala, so I didn't have the cost of formula. And I did try to do cloth diapering up until it just wasn't making any sense anymore for me to be doing it. It was more cost effective for me to just be buying diapers, actually. And it's like, it was just really difficult to find out how to balance all of this. Um, Really was a lonely time, too. I had no one around you know it was just me and her um and that was really it and um with this this moving around and trying to afford to live that's what kind of what led me into working into the sex industry because when I was 18 and after I found out you know after I had Nala and I was living alone trying to afford to live I was learning about how much money cam girls make. Like, oh, I can just, you know, be on there for, like, two hours while she's taking a nap and make, like, you know, $300 or something at least. You know, and it's not even like you make that much money, like, unless you're on there for a while. Like, sometimes occasionally 
you can, but like it just doesn't work. And to try to manage that, and like also, there's a lot of resistance. It's not like you want to be doing that. Um, you know, it's just like what you kind of are thinking that you have to do in order to just be able to pay rent and, and buy the things that you need for like the next month. Um, and how this escalated was like, I was not living with my daughter's father. I couldn't afford to live where I was. So I moved out of state to someone who said that they could, I could live with them for essentially like free. And they had a vehicle so that I wouldn't have to be able to walk to the grocery store anymore and like walk in the middle of winter in New York. Or like I was living in West Virginia for a while to be able to try to walk to a grocery store in the middle of January with, like, a one-year-old. It's just, like, it just really sucks. Like, miles in the snow. It's a horrible life. Um, and so this is also, so this is what hustle happened. My daughter's father was living in New York, and I was living in Georgia, and he wanted to have more access to seeing her, rightfully so. And he brought me to court and I did, I did go to court and I, um, was told I have to come back to New York. And the situation with me coming from back to New York was that I was already homeless in Georgia and how was I going to afford to even get back to New York? So my daughter was spending weeks in New York and then weeks with me. And that separation was extremely traumatic for me. In those times that I had spent the weeks away from her, I was like, okay, how can I work for three weeks, make the most amount of money I can, and then the three weeks I have her, I can just have her and not have to be paying for a babysitter. So that's what led me into working in actual strip clubs. I started as a um, shot girl because it's like you go in and you're basically a private contractor. So you go in, you sell shots for them, you pay the house, which is the club, a certain percentage. Let's say you're selling shots for $5, then you give the club $2 and then you take $3 home. So you're trying to sell as many shots as you can. You're trying to upsell them. And, um, you know, that was the first time I've been in a strip club. And that was because I was looking for a job there because I knew that I could work my own hours. And it's like, even if you Google like jobs like that, like stripping and, and those sorts of things comes up. And that's like really unfortunate. And like a lot, a lot of single moms work in the sex industry. Um, I would say about half of them actually are single mothers. So when I was told to come back to New York, I was like, well, I've been working here at this club and now I'm like accustomed to strip clubs. I might as well just work at the local club near back where I lived um, so I can come back home and afford to live. And I was once again homeless, sleeping on the floor of some random person's house, renting a room from them for like really cheap. And it was like a disgusting place. Like, but I, I don't want to be rude and rude about that, but I'm just explaining like that's the living situations that I'm in and that's the living situations that no one wants to be raising children in but if if it's the only option like financially or like that makes the most sense then yeah that's how it's gonna go so after working in the strip clubs for a while I realized wow I'm making like good money and I've always been someone that's actually pretty good with money I just have been someone that has had periods in my life where I didn't really get to be able to make that much money because of, like I'm saying, being a single mother. So I, um, it's hard to even continue education, you know, to be able to afford to like go to college and like 
oh my gosh, like, there's a whole cycle to this, and this is why I'm telling you this, um, so, yeah, I was able to afford after being a stripper for a while, my own apartment, and that was great, um, but I still was stuck in that cycle, how are you gonna get out of, like, working that, you know, it didn't make sense if I'm working, like, three days a week, and I'm making over, like, a thousand to two thousand dollars, why am I going to, quit to make minimum wage at some other job because I have no job experience. I'm not going to be able to afford to live. And with working like just a few days a week on nights, that worked out great because I was able to have my daughter be with her father on those nights, you know, and like anytime I didn't have her, I was trying to make money. And that's such a struggle. The only way that I've actually really been able to get out of the industry was if I was with somebody Um, like for example, I was in a previous relationship to the one that I'm in now and I was able to stop working in the industry because, um, I was able to work a lower income job because I was splitting the income with someone else. Um, and then that ended and then I had to go back (laughs) to the industry because I didn't know I was going to afford anything. And like the other thing with it is like, if it's all, you know, and you know, you're going to make money then it's very easy to just go. And this is how women lead themselves into prostitution, which is something that I've also done for money because I was thinking about, oh, now I can make even more money in less amount of time so I can be able to get home, do all the things I need to do at home and be there for my daughter. If you talk to a lot of women in the sex industry, this is the exact things that they'll tell you about why they do if they're a single mother, like why they work in this industry. Something else I wanted to talk about, about women, single mothers being in the sex industry, is that there is a very large portion of women in the sex industry who are actually owned by another group of people. You could say they're pimped out or whatever. These are women that are involved in the sex trafficking and the human trafficking trade. A lot of these women are women of color and women of minority. There are even foreign women, um, illegal immigrants, and they're owned by people. They come to clubs. Um, at the club I worked at, we had a group of women that came in a bus all together to work. And I would sometimes try to talk to these women. It was difficult because a lot of them didn't even speak English that well. And if I could, I'd like to talk to them because I wanted to understand their story. Because, like, the amazing thing about being in the industry is I've just met so many incredible women that have been through so much. And just to see how well they can just put on a fake face in order to, like, hustle and make the money that they need to make in order to survive. The other thing about these women is they pay everybody else out. They have to give their money to the people that own them. And the other really sad part about this is that sometimes these women, while they're being forced into prostitution, they end up getting pregnant. And sometimes they will be forced to have an unsafe abortion. And other times the women carry out the abortion in the child then, if it's a, if it's a daughter, or even it could be a son. These women, these children are kept also as being owned by these people and they're raised 
in a sexual environment and then are continued to be put into the sex trafficking industry. So it's like there's a huge cycle here that needs to stop. Um, And these women don't have access to the care that they need. And that's what gets me so angry about these laws being passed in these states. And this is why it's so important to talk about it. So this is what I've been trying to think about what I can do and what we can do as a society to help these women. The first thing I think that we can do is talk about it. We can't be scared to talk about things that are touchy subjects because they're going to hurt people's feelings. People need to get over it. These are serious topics that need to be discussed. And everyone has their own heated opinion. But at the end of the day, everybody's voice needs to be heard. And these women of low income and these women of color, they don't get to have their voices heard. And I just think all we can really do as a society is make sure that these women's voices are heard and talk about them as much as we can. The second thing that I think we can do is donate to abortion access funds. This will allow women to get access to like transportation, time off work, and um, some income, some money to be able to make sure that they can safely access an abortion. Because a lot of these women are going to be having to travel like way out of state and um you know they're they're might not be able to do that safely you know if they're in a situation where they're being forced into having this pregnancy how are these women going to be able to access um, a safe abortion somewhere outside of the realms of whoever they're in like a lot of these women are in these domestic abusive situations where you know they need to be able to safely access an abortion i'm going to leave some links Um, in the description about places you can donate Um, it looks like the main one that people should be donating to is national network of abortion funds there's also one called keep our clinics and there's one called abortion care network Um, but I'll make sure to put a list there because you can also donate more locally Um, so I'll try to leave access to as much of that as possible Another thing that I think would be really helpful to do is just be able to listen to people without reacting. And um, there's no reason for us to be arguing about these decisions as a humanity. I really believe that if we were to listen to people, we'd understand that we all have a similar belief about things. And we all just want the best for each other. We all want the best for ourselves and the people we care about. And Usually when people are making a decision or opinion about things, they do think that they're making the better decision for the good of people. So whether we think people are right or wrong, let's just listen and hear out what they have to say. Let's also not listen to the obvious bullshit. Let's not feed into the drama of it. And if things are just extremely idiotic, let's not pay attention to it let's ignore it and i don't think that we should be getting all angry with each other i think i do believe in a way that our energies are harnessed when we have these negative energies i do feel like higher powers that be can utilize that energy for negative and what i mean by that is i think a division is created between our people as a way to create distraction from a larger picture 
It puts us all as a society into a sympathetic nervous system state, which means we're stressed out, we're scared, we don't know what's going on, and it allows us to be more easily controlled. So I think that we need to stay grounded in us in our femininity and remember that we're strong and extremely capable. So let's not live in fear about the future. Let's stay optimistic and let's continue to support women and women's rights. Um, I think that's everything I want to say today. So thank you so much for listening. I very much appreciate it. I do get a little bit vulnerable in these conversations, but I realize that it's necessary in order to connect and to create an imagery and a story to explain to you, um, you know, my experiences. So regardless of how I feel, I think, like I said, it's better for us to speak up, listen, and share what we think. Um, Thank you all. Have a great day.